It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. The Guy Benson Show Sunday Replay. The week's most interesting interviews with senators, commentators, and newsmakers. Giving you a replay just in case you missed it. The Guy Benson Show. Joining us now from Kabul, Afghanistan, is Trey Yingst, foreign correspondent for Fox News. And Trey, it is good to have you here. Guy, thanks for having me. I could not help but be struck by a series of tweets that you published yesterday. In the first one, in a short thread, you wrote this. Thousands of people are still trying to flee Taliban-controlled Afghanistan. U.S. green card holders, people who live and pay taxes in the United States, are trapped. We met a man today who runs a business, two businesses in Atlanta. He's stuck with his family right now in Kabul. And you go on to detail some of the people that you've spoken to, including U.S. citizens. I feel like in some ways here in the United States, back home, a lot of people are moving on from this story. I think that's the goal of the administration. The president at the U.N. this week said that he's turning the page on Afghanistan But for the people that you're speaking with who are stuck there, they don't have an option to turn the page. This is their life. If you would, Trey, just give us some insight into some of these folks, who they are and what they're telling you. Yeah, well, look, President Biden might be turning the page on Afghanistan, but there are thousands of people who call America home. They live there. They pay taxes there who are still stuck in Afghanistan. And that's not to mention the U.S. citizens, American passport holders who are still on the ground, not only in Kabul, but across the country. And it's extremely, extremely dire for these people who are now living among the Taliban. The Taliban controls the entirety of Afghanistan. And you have to consider these people, not only green card holders who may live in the United States or have the legal right to live there, but also people who worked for the Americans in the past are now prime targets for the Taliban. These are Individuals who are proud to have worked with the United States, whether it be at the embassy or as translators in the field for the U.S. Army or NATO troops. And they're very vulnerable because you you don't have a, a set directive for the Taliban. So you may have leadership in Kabul saying, well, we're not going to target these people and we're going to basically forgive everyone for working with the people who used to be the enemy of the Taliban. But the reality is that you have factions in the Taliban, you have a a group that is quite splintered, and they do not control all of their fighters. And these people could go after Americans who are still here. They could go after those green card holders. And it's a very delicate and, and dire situation for those who are still on the ground. Trey, it's amazing to look at some of these reports, particularly what you're doing on the ground in Afghanistan, talking to these people who are stuck, who are abandoned. And I know that's how many of them feel. You know, the president made a very clear promise about allies and certainly about Americans and even more substantial promise. And he broke both of those promises in terms of getting people out and evacuating them before U.S. troops left the country. He said today the president did. He was asked about Afghanistan. He said, look, we're still getting people out of there. Can you tell us what you are seeing and what your reporting is on the progress of getting stranded Americans out of Afghanistan, because it feels like we're not hearing very much about 
too many concrete examples of successes. You'll get sort of stray ones here or there, but by and large, we haven't heard very much about how that is looking, how it's going. Can you tell us anything that we don't already know, or is it sort of a holding pattern right now? Yeah, so we've got some new details about this, actually, that we haven't reported yet. We can talk about here now. The Biden administration is still trying to get some of these stranded Americans and U.S. allies out of Afghanistan. And they're working with the Qatari government, a government that has a unique leverage over the Taliban. But you described it perfectly. This has been very sporadic. We've been in Afghanistan for about 10 days now. And occasionally you will see an evacuation flight take off from Kabul's international airport. And most of the time it's a Qatari charter flight. And we did see dozens of Americans and green card holders make their way out of Afghanistan through this evacuation process. And it is in coordination with the U.S. State Department. But over the past several days, those flights have stopped. And we've asked questions not only to the Taliban, but also the Qataris about the flights. And they basically described a situation that is up in the air. There are ongoing conversations with the Taliban about allowing these flights to land and take off. But you have to consider a lot of this is a political process that has many moving parts. There's a security aspect to all of this. The the Taliban is fighting their own battle right now against ISIS-K, a a group that targeted American troops on the ground in Afghanistan at the end of August, but has now shifted their focus to targeting the Taliban. And you you have to rely on the Taliban to provide security around this airport. So you have flights taking off with Westerners from Kabul, but you have ISIS-K operating around the airport and across the city. So it's a very delicate situation that presents extremely, extremely high security risks. I want to talk, though, a little bit more about those people that we discussed who are still stuck here. Because I think when we when we step back and we look at the Americans and the green card holders and the special immigrant visa holders who are still in Afghanistan, I think it's really easy, thousands of miles away in, in Washington, to say, well, we're turning the page to a new chapter. But the voices of these people are are so desperate. And, you know, we talked to one man earlier in the week and referenced him in, in that tweet thread that we discussed earlier in the show, Guy. And he sent me a photo this morning. And we haven't published this photo yet, but it was of him and a, a few other embassy employees who made food for the ambassador and for the team that the U.S. State Department had here in Afghanistan. And he said, sir, this is one of my photos with Mr. John Bass. This is the former ambassador to Afghanistan and the man that President Biden now has running these evacuations. And he's in a photo with a man who was left behind. And it really gives you a sense of how betrayed these U.S. allies feel. They put their lives on the line to work with the American government while they were on the ground in Afghanistan. And they were promised safe passage out of the country. This same man showed me an email from the deputy chief of mission at the U.S. Embassy in Kabul promising safe passage out of out of Afghanistan, out of Taliban-controlled Afghanistan. And he's still here. His family is still at risk. And there are people being left behind. And, and I think the imagery that this, this paints for the United States across the region is significant. And it doesn't just matter right now. It, it matters in the future. When mm-hmm. the Americans reach out to people and ask for help around the world, I think that you will have individuals look at what happened in Afghanistan and say, well, this could happen to me if I help out the United States. No, I mean, it's just disgraceful. The betrayal, another example that we mentioned on this show a few weeks ago, 
was the translator who had actually helped rescue Joe Biden himself and a handful of other senators when they were forced down because of weather in the mountains in Afghanistan years ago in a helicopter. He deployed with U.S. forces to go get them, and he met Joe Biden. And Joe Biden promised that he and people like him would be evacuated, could leave the country, and thousands of them have been left behind. Trey, stand by. Our guest is Trey Yinkst, foreign correspondent at Fox News. He is in Kabul, Afghanistan, conducting this interview. And when we come back, Trey, I want to ask you about how you are getting in touch with people who are stranded, how you are protecting them, even as you discuss these issues with them or even interview them. And then on the other side, how you are in touch with the Taliban and how those interviews go, because it's pretty harrowing from all this distance away to watch. Trey Yangst on The Guy Benson Show. More of this conversation as soon as we come back. We are back. It's the final hour here on The Guy Benson Show. Happy Friday. With us from Kabul, Afghanistan is Trey Yingst, foreign correspondent here at Fox News. And we were just talking in the previous segment about the thousands of Americans and American allies still stuck in Afghanistan. They want to leave. You've spoken to some of them, Trey. How are you getting in touch with these people? How are they reaching you? And because I've seen interviews that you've done where you've distorted voices or you've you know, put masks over people's faces so they can't be readily identified should the Taliban come knocking to try to execute them or whatever they might try to do. How do you communicate with these folks? And then when they decide that they want to talk to you or even potentially go on the record or on air, what are the measures that you take to make sure that they are safe, that their identities are protected, that, you know, you're not being followed? I would imagine this is relatively precarious stuff. It's a it's a great question, Guy, and you bring up some really great points. The security situation here is deteriorating every day, and there's a lot about our, our time reporting here that I will talk about more on Fox News when I get out of the country because some of it is, is striking how close you are to the bad guys. And when it comes to people who are directly being targeted – by the Taliban, people like interpreters and translators who worked with the Americans for the past 20 years, their lives are in danger every day. And to speak with an American media outlet like Fox, it's a major risk. To speak with any media outlet, it's a huge risk for these people because they could be identified. So we have to be why are really they careful when Before we talk you continue, to them. why are they taking it? Is it just that degree of desperation? Exactly. They're out of options. They are literally desperate. They are worried they will be killed if they don't find a way out of Afghanistan. And they're willing to risk their lives to tell their story because they are that desperate. And I think that it really gets to the core of what's happening right now. Showing up, I mean, sometimes I'm surprised. And and we have these conversations with people and they, it's quite sad, guy, you know, when you talk to them, because when they realize you're an American, It's the first American they've been able to speak with in weeks after trying everything, after sometimes spending every penny that they have just trying to get in touch with an American. And then they have this moment of hope because they they don't quite make the connection that we are here as journalists. And they say, finally, finally, I've been trying so hard. My, My family, they're being targeted. I'm getting threats that they're going to murder my wife and my kids. And, and you have to say to them, I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm, I'm really sorry this is happening to you. I want to tell your story and let the world know that this is happening, but I, I can't help you. And I, I don't have the means to do that. And 
it's heartbreaking because you see the life drain from their face mm. because they realize once again they are stranded and we are not that lifeline, that life raft that they're looking for out of the country. We are simply able to tell their story and we will continue to do that to the best of our ability. But it's really just heartbreaking to to hear how scared they are. Oh, God. I mean, just like gut wrenching, gut wrenching to hear that. Trey, and I don't want to press further on the question because I think operational security for you and your team and these people, that is paramount. I think a lot of Americans are curious, right, and just have questions. How are you doing this? And now may not be the time to get into those details. Last question I have for you deals with the enemy, people who are extremely hostile to Americans, who have been killing Americans for years in that region and then in that country. Just earlier today, I was scrolling through your Twitter feed, and there's this video it looks like you're sitting in a tent. You are breaking bread, and the camera pans. It looks like maybe it's even a phone camera. It pans around, and you are sitting there with Taliban fighters. And you're sitting on the ground, and you're interviewing them. How do those interviews get arranged? And, you know, quite frankly, I don't know if I would have the stones to sit down with enemy fighters and interview them. As an American, you are doing it on the ground in Kabul Tell us about that. Look, I've been very clear with the Taliban. My role as a journalist is not to make you look good. It's also not to make you look bad. It's to tell the truth about what's happening, and it's to hold you accountable for your actions. And I'm not afraid of the Taliban because I'm here to do a job, and I'm here to ask them the tough questions and get the answers that our viewers and our listeners are looking for. So You're not afraid at all? When it comes to interviews... I, I think in many of these situations, showing fear is a sign of weakness. These are hardened mm -hmm. fighters. They spent much of their adult life, if not all of their adult life, and some of their youth with a weapon in their hand, firing it, killing people at close range. So these are really some of the world's toughest people. And I say that not from a place of admiration, but from a place of reality. I mean, these people have spent their entire lives fighting war, guerrilla war, a religious guerrilla war. Many of them, and I would say the majority of them that we talk to, are not afraid to die. And when you talk to people like that, you really can't even show fear because they see that as such a sign of weakness. And when it comes to speaking with them, and like we did today, we were in a, a tent in part of Kabul talking with these fighters and I think there's a tendency for for people who see this from afar to say well there's certain questions you can't ask them or certain topics you can't bring up because it would be too dangerous to do so uh, I would politely say uh, that's just not the case <laughs> I, I'll keep it I'll keep it PG that's not the case um, mm -hmm. those fighters in that tent today I asked them if they thought it was acceptable to be threatening people who worked with the United States I asked them about the rights of women under their interpretation of Sharia law because their interpretation of Sharia law is, is not the interpretation that the rest of the Muslim world has. It's an extreme tribal version of Islam. It does not represent the more than a billion Muslims around the world, but yet they use it as a base for their actions, taking women out of government positions, targeting their enemies implementing these rules in society like banning music and forcing people to have beers and in the past executing people in public. 
they use that religion and, and their interpretation of the religion. I think that's very important to talk about their interpretation of Islam as a means for saying it's okay. And I, I think just to get to the core of it, you have to be very upfront with them about who you are and why you're here. And I've, I've been very clear with them. And, and it happens a lot. It's, you know, I could talk about this topic for a long time, but it happens a lot, these questions from the fighters. I, I remember the first day that we got here, we were at the Polisharki prison, a prison that housed thousands of Taliban fighters. And when they came into the city of Kabul, they freed all of these fighters. And we got to the gates of this prison, and it was not arranged in, in advance. My cameraman and I showed up, and there were a bunch of gunmen waiting at the entrance of the prison. And they stopped us, kind of raising their weapons, not sure who was there. And we ultimately got out of the car and through a translator were able to speak to them. And I explained to them why I was there. And I said, I'm here because I'd like to interview some of you. And I'd like to tell the story about how you freed thousands of Taliban fighters from this jail. And after some conversation and explanation of who we were and, and what we were there to do, they started asking questions, and they said, well, are you going to make us look good? And I said, absolutely not. I'm going to tell the truth. And I think this approach to journalism has given us access around the world because I have the same conversation with the Taliban that I have with Hezbollah in Lebanon, that I have with Hamas in Gaza, that I have with Islamic Jihad. I always have the same conversation, and they always ask similar questions. Are you here to make us look good? Are you going to make us look bad? And I simply tell them, I'm going to tell the truth. So if you kill innocent people, I will report that. If you'd like to work towards a peace treaty and open up your relations with the West and have a respect for human rights, I'll report that too. So my reporting is based on your actions. It's based on the truth and it's based on facts. And so far, top Taliban officials in Kabul have accepted those words and they have allowed us to operate here and report the news. Well, it's pretty incredible to listen to the words that you're saying and to think about what that looks like in practice. I can nod along in an air-conditioned studio in the middle of Washington, D.C. It's a very different question on the ground, face-to-face, -face, with hardened jihadists as you prepare to interview them. And you may not evince any fear, so please allow me to worry on your behalf. I will fear vicariously. How about that? And uh, we will continue to root for you, watch your work, pray for your safety, and for your continued superb coverage from on the ground in Kabul, Afghanistan. Trey Yinks, foreign correspondent here at Fox News. Trey, stay safe. Guy, thanks. It's the Guy Benson Show. That was this week's edition of the Guy Benson Show Sunday Replay. For more Guy Benson Show, go to GuyBensonShow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.